A team of medical experts, or possibly cranks, has released a new report declaring that Joe Biden's election as president will completely cure the Chinese flu. The experts, or cranks, it has now become impossible to tell the difference, said that until Biden is installed in the Oval Office, the flu will continue to spread like a raging wildfire, killing every single person in its path, including people statistics say will not be killed, and even including people who actually will not be killed, but will be killed in news reports until Biden is elected. The experts or cranks, known among their expert crank colleagues as Mo, Larry, Curley, and Dean Bacay, say that as soon as Biden wins, the painful panic and fear sweeping the nation will subside because outlandish news stories bearing false claims and causing overreactions by tyrannical petty officials will suddenly disappear like magic. The cranks, or possibly experts, say that not only will Biden's election cure the disease, but it will also bring racial harmony to the streets of our cities, which have been so devastated by having Trump be the president while Democrat policies were in the midst of destroying them. Once Trump is out of office, say the expert cranks, spiraling crime rates, widespread homelessness and government corruption will suddenly vanish from Democrat cities or at least from news reports about Democrat cities, which is the same thing. Police brutality will only resurface if it becomes necessary to distract Americans from the fact that Joe Biden has been staring into a wastebasket and calling for his mother for the last six days. Clearly, racial tension has been a problem ever since Barack Obama healed our nation's wounds by twisting the knife of his failure in them. But with Joe Biden at long last in the government, as opposed to wherever he's been all these many decades, these problems will be completely solved. Uh, Unless the experts are cranks, then this is just more of their leftist crap. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. I'm the hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, tipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. All right, I am back from a long birthday weekend. Thank you for your birthday wishes. We will continue laughing our way through the fall of the Republic. I hope you will go to Andrew Claven. Uh, YouTube channel and subscribe. That would be really helpful. Leave a comment. And if your comment is relatively not stupid, we'll read it on the air just to raise the discourse on the show. Today we have uh, from Marcus H. On behalf of all second-rate quarterbacks in the NFL, I must say that you calling Kaepernick a second-rate quarterback uh, is highly offensive. Uh, I do understand that, and I really apologize for the fact that I'm completely indifferent. Uh, Today, What's the Big Idea is sponsored by the Benham Brothers. You can learn how to own a business without it owning you. Get a 15% discount on the Benham Brothers new course, Expert Ownership, at BenhamBrothers.com slash talent. Now, sadly, speaking of sports, the Washington Redskins have finally caved into pressure and decided to change their name. The Redskins are, of course, a team from the sport formerly known as football and soon to be known as the sport that's playing on the channel I'm not watching. I'd like to suggest as possible new team names, the Washington Cavins, the Washington Moral Cowards, the Washington Wussy Boots, or the Washington Romneys, all different ways of saying the same thing. What has struck me and other people about this little piece of racial bullying is repeated polls, even by the Washington Post, by the way, showing that actual Native Americans, as many as 90% of them, aren't offended by the Redskins' name. Some of them even take it as a compliment. In other words, like most people who are quote-unquote represented by identity politics activists, Native Americans have a sense of humor about themselves and don't need these pains in the butt complaining on their behalf. 
This means that the Washington eunuchs are caving in not to a majority, but to a tiny group of leftist loudmouths and journalists. But I repeat myself. The question that arises from this is why? Why are these few twisted, hate-filled, ugly-hearted, pain-in-the-butt human beings known as activists so successful at ruining the fun of everything from sex to sports, while the vast majority of us go unheeded? Most women are not at all like hideous feminists. Most gays are not like awful gay activists. Most blacks are not like the Marxist creeps of Black Lives Matter. So why is the majority always silent while the minority wins victory after victory? It can't be a moral question. It's not a matter of morality. The NFL works hand in glove with China while China murders, rapes, and imprisons Muslims and their own citizens. It's got to be about money and power. It's got to be that the activists have the ability to economically terrorize high-level sponsors, like in the Washington Redskins case, FedEx, to get the corporate cave-in they're looking for while they're demanding changes that don't threaten elite positions at all. This will change nothing. Changing the team, the name of the team, will change nothing in the lives of Native Americans. So, If that's true, we need to understand this is not a moral battle and we shouldn't allow it to be posed to us that way. This doesn't require compromise. It doesn't require discussion. We're just in the same old ancient fight between freedom and truth and power and money. The outcome will be the same as always. The truth will be crucified and the truth will never die. So you have to decide. We all have to decide whose side are we on. Let us talk for a minute about a way to get more truth in your head, which is Ashford University. It is really, really tough to get an education while you're working, but Ashford can help. And if you have your big dreams, which you should, then you need to figure out how to actually make those dreams a reality. Ashford University is the place to go. Online bachelor's, master's degree programs, they allow you to learn on a convenient and flexible schedule. At Ashford, expert faculty teaches you real-world skills from real-world experience in online classes built for life's twist and turns. You can learn from home. You can pursue a degree in one of Ashford's 60-plus programs, business administration, healthcare administration, psychology, and so on. With 24-7 access to your classroom, daily support, and financial aid, Ashford gives you the tools you need to help make your dreams a reality. Dare to dream big. Your tomorrow starts today at Ashford University. There's no fee to apply or standardized testing required to enroll. Go to ashford.edu slash Andrew. That's ashford.edu slash Andrew. Ashford.edu slash Andrew. Not all programs are available in all states. The mailbag is tomorrow. Get your questions in. Again, if you'd like to send video questions, we love them. <laughs> but but we will take all your questions. Uh, go to dailywire.com. You got to be a subscriber. So subscribe while you're there. Hit the podcast button, the Andrew Claven podcast. Hit that little mailbag symbol. Ask me anything you want about religion, about politics, about your personal life. All my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life. Maybe for the better. Maybe maybe it's going to be a disaster. You'll have to tune in and find out. Many of you wrote to, uh, letters to me about remarks I made about Jesus when I was taking down Don Lemon, and I did speak inexactly, but I'll have to find a place to um, explain what I was saying. You'll still disagree with me, but I did speak inexactly, and it's my that's my fault. So uh, either I'll do it at the end of the show today or during the mailbag tomorrow. I'll find time to uh, respond because there's just too many uh, letters for me to respond to them individually. So we ended the week uh, before I went away on a down note talking to Henry Olson, who feels that Trump is just in a historically bad position in the polls. Uh, I, I want you to know that I'm not as down as he is, but he's a really good poll watcher, a very accurate poll watcher. So we know that, that Trump's in trouble. And I was filling in for Ben. I talked to Kellyanne Conway about it. 
in between all her brilliantly done defense of Trump, uh, she did admit that they that she at least knows this and is trying to get the word through to the president. And some of this is, you know, turning around. But but really, the fight we're in goes beyond this. I was thinking about this all weekend. We can't live from election to election. We can't live and die on Donald Trump. That's not the way this is going to work. If we're fighting for the country, the fight for the country goes on. It goes on every day. And the thing about it is, is this fight has now come to your feet. If you want to know where the front lines of the fight for America are, look down at your toes. That's the front line. And so this is the question I get every day, every single day. I get a letter saying, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And how can I? And what am I going to do? And I've got this and I've got this problem. And the thing is, this is always true. If you believe the country is under attack, if you believe your freedom is under attack, if you believe the country is in trouble, you got to decide. You got to decide. Are you going to stand up? Are you going to tell the truth, even when cancel culture comes for you, even when it means being called to HR, losing a sponsor, doing all the things that happen to all of us uh, when we speak the truth in this country? And now that's what it's come down to. Now, all you have to do is speak the truth, even the truth. These guys are saying, you know, even even objectivity, even science. These are anti these are racist things. You've got to get rid of science. You've got to get rid of STEM. You've got to get rid of objectivity. So that means that your life. You know, talk about lives that matter. Your life matters. Your truth. Your, the fact that you speak the truth. The fact that you're not afraid. The fact that you show your children, your co-workers, your friends, that you're not afraid to lose them. That's going to be the fight as we go forward. You know, over the weekend, Charles Blow, the most appropriately named uh, columnist at Knucklehead Row at the New York Times, he tweeted in capital letters, because when you tweet something in capital letters, it becomes true. Even if it's completely false, if you do it in capital letters, if you do it five times, it not only becomes true, it actually takes solid form in the universe. So Charles Blow said, there's no such thing as cancel culture. This is a new thing that they're doing. This Charles Blow of the New York Times. There is free speech. You can say and do as you please, and others can choose never to deal with you, your company, or your products ever again. The rich and powerful are just upset that the masses can now organize their dissent. So this is McCarthyism. This is Joseph McCarthy. You know, some people say that McCarthy was a hero. Not really true. He was a sloppy uh, drunk who did things in a, in a really bad and dishonest way and set the fight against communism back. Many of the communists that he was attacking had already been thrown out of the State Department, but he did have a point that they had gotten into the State Department. They had infiltrated our government. But all we've heard for 50 years is McCarthyism. Oh, the evils of McCarthyism. Movie after movie about McCarthyism. Well, you had the right to be a communist. It's just that McCarthy could destroy your reputation and career. That's all. So the same thing is true. Now Charles Blow is a McCarthyist. If you don't think that cancel culture is real at the New York Times, get this. Barry Weiss, an extremely talented, extremely bright, young, moderate, uh, liberal, basically, writing for the New York Times, has resigned. And she has written a re- resignation letter. You can find it on her website. Uh, you can see it on my Twitter feed. It, you, you really should read it. It is an amazing, amazing indictment of what's going on at the former newspaper, the New York Times. I just can read a little bit of it. But this is a young woman who comes, I mean, look, This is a very, very bright, very talented young lady who comes to the New York Times full of hope, full of optimism. You know, just think about it yourself. I mean, if you've got kids, if you are a kid, if you know what it's like to desperately want a career, this is basically the golden gold ring. She grabbed the gold ring. She has got the big job in uh, written journalism, which is being a columnist for The New York Times. This is what she says why she's leaving Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York Times, but Twitter has become its ultimate editor. 
As the ethics and mores of that platform have become those of the paper, the paper itself has increasingly become a kind of performance space. Stories are chosen and told in a way to satisfy the narrowest of audiences rather than to allow a curious public to read about the world and draw their own conclusions. I was always taught that journalists were charged with writing the first rough draft of history. Now, history itself is one more ephemeral thing molded to fit the needs of a predetermined narrative. Now, anybody who listens to the show knows this already. Barry and I have been in contact before. You know, she is more liberal than I am. But I, I keep trying to tell her that this is where center of liberalism is. It's on the right now. It is on the right. So now let me just read this more so you understand what's happening to a young lady working at the New York Times, right? She says, my own forays into wrong think have made me the subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree with my views. They have called me a Nazi and a racist. I've learned to brush off comments about how I'm writing about the Jews again, quote unquote. Several colleagues perceived to be friendly with me were badgered by coworkers. My work and my character are openly demeaned on company-wide Slack channels. Slack channels are like an online thing for in-house uh, talking. And I've seen the attacks on her on these Slack channels. They're just vicious, ugly. And they, she says, masthead editors, people who are on the masthead, regularly weigh in. There, some coworkers insist I need to be rooted out if this company is to be a truly inclusive one, which is great leftist logic, right? We have to be inclusive by getting rid of anybody who disagrees with us. Others post axe emojis next to my name. Still other New York Times employees publicly smear me as a liar and a bigot on Twitter with no fear that harassing me will be met with appropriate action. They never are. There are terms for all of this, unlawful discrimination, hostile work environment, and constructive discharge. I'm no legal expert, but I know that this is wrong. That sounds to me like a threat to sue. I hope she does sue. I hope the New York Times is dragged into court and forced to defend themselves. They are being run by a group of woke children. And that's Dean Bacay because he's corrupt, A, he's intellectually corrupt, for one thing, and B, because they're cowards. I mean, they're cowards. And this is the thing. This is a small minority of people, a small minority of people basically forcing everybody else to say, yes, yes, lies are truth and truth are lies. And the ultimate uh, expression of this is Charles Blow saying the phenomenon doesn't exist while a young lady working for his paper, whom he should have been the first to defend, Charles Blow should have been the first to say, no, this is an, uh, an opinion that some of you disagree with, but she has the right to be here. This is a paper that accepts all uh, opinions from all sides. He should have been the first. Instead, he's saying, oh, the cancel culture that just just send a complete bomb into this woman's career doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. No, I know you see it. I know the monster standing in back of you about to rip your head off. It's just not there. It's just not there. It's the lie, not just the lie. It's the lie about the lying, you know, and you see this, you know, it, it is unbelievable in, in the, the cities, in Democrat cities across the country, crime is on the rise as they talk about defunding the police. 17 people were shot in New York City on Monday. On Monday, this is not even the weekend. This is something like 600% more people than that time. One, a one-year-old, a one-year-old was shot at a barbecue in, a, in the park at night. Uh, two gunmen dressed in black approached fire a number of shots into a group and fled. I want you to hear 
the voice of this one-year-old's father. It's barely, I mean, you can barely stand it, but you have to listen to this for just a minute. And then I want you to hear AOC, Alexandria Occasional Cortex, explaining why crime is on the rise when they try to defund the police, when police are being attacked everywhere, when the mayor is sitting around painting Black Lives Matter murals on Fifth Avenue instead of paying attention to his city. First, let's listen to the voice of a father who just lost his one-year-old son to a bullet. You took my son's life. I can't get that back. I can't hold him no more. I can't hear him calling me daddy no more. I can't kiss him no more. I can't play with him no more. I can't do nothing with him no more. Like, I gotta put my, I gotta put my son in the ground now. And he's only one. His birthday two months. In two months, he didn't live to see two. Like, he didn't live life. And it's like, I wanted to get him out this violence before something like this happened. Now I want you to listen to AOC, and as you listen to her, I want you to imagine her holding the body of that child in her arms, because let me tell you something, if you can sit in front, you know, when Hillary Clinton lied in front of the dead of Benghazi, that was ugly. This is uglier, to lie on the body of a one-year-old child. This is AOC talking about why there's, why there's suddenly, how how could this uptick, this 600% uptick, I love that phrase, uptick in crime, why is this happening? Here is that brilliant mind of our generation, AOC. So why is this uptick in crime happening? Well, let's think about it. Do we think this has to do with the fact that there's record unemployment in the United States right now? The fact that people are at a level of economic desperation that we have not seen since the Great Recession? Maybe this has to do with the fact that people aren't paying their rent and are scared to pay their rent. And so they go out and they need to feed their child and they don't have money. So you maybe have to, they're put in a position where they feel like they either need to shoplift some bread or go hungry that night. Yeah, that that must be it. That must be it. And the reason we know this is not it is because it happened all through the 70s and 80s and the 90s until the police, the police, you know, this thing where they said mass incarceration, there was never any mass incarceration. What there was was zero tolerance for crime. There was broken windows policing, which means making sure that the small crimes, the small crimes don't happen because the small crimes lead to big crimes. You know, I was living in London when Giuliani cleaned up New York and some friends of mine visited me from New York, white upper class people, and they said to me, oh, it's terrible. This Giuliani, he's a Nazi. He's now stopping us for jaywalking. And I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's stopping, you know, people in poor neighborhoods from urinating in the streets. He's stopping people from painting on walls. He's stopping people in poor neighborhoods from breaking windows. Why shouldn't he stop rich white people from jaywalking? It's all part of the same thing. And I have to admit, even these elites kind of went like, huh, you know, that that does make a little bit of sense, right? He did it to everybody. But of course, it has a bigger effect in these uh, crime-ridden neighborhoods, and it brought the crime rate down. The crime rate is going up because of Democrat policies, just like it went up in the 70s and 80s. AOC is just an ignorant, ignorant woman, and she's letting that child die for nothing. She's letting that child die for nothing. That's the kind of thing that would be a wake-up call. But because it's not a black guy killed by a white cop, and because the narrative is set by the Democrats because they own the territory of communication, That's what we have to talk about. Why are Republicans, why are Republicans talking about 
you know, reforming the police. That's not the problem. Yeah, again, I'm always happy to reform the police. I'm always happy for any power center to be overseen. But that's not the problem in, in black neighborhoods. The problem is fatherless homes. The problem is people not getting an education. The problem is people not supporting an education. The problem is people listening to music about how great it is to kill the police. The problem is leftism telling them that they, they will be freed by defunding the police when most of them, I'm sure, the large majority of them know the truth, that that is a death sentence. All right, we got to stop for just a second and talk about a one, an actual a great charity, Cars for Kids. You probably know it. They have that jingle that like sticks in your head. It now says <laughs> in the copy, it says that I'm supposed to sing part of the jingle. Uh, but you, uh, not everybody knows this. They Cars for Kids probably didn't know this. That when, every time I sing, an angel dies. But you know, it's one eight seven seven. Kind of, you know that whole thing. So, car, but Cars for Kids is where you donate your car to help children get a better life, right? So Cars for Kids makes the process of donating your car quick and easy. It takes just about two minutes. They handle all the details, all the paperwork. All you need to do is schedule a pickup and sign the title. Pickups are contact-free. You leave your signed title with the keys to the car to avoid unnecessary contact. Your car donation is fast and free, usually picked up within 24 hours, and Cars for Kids will take your car even if it's not running. It's tax-deductible. Your tax deduction is based on the sale of your car. Car for Kids works hard to sell your car for the best price. So with Cars for Kids, you get professional service, a convenient pickup, a maximum tax deduction, a vacation voucher. They'll also give you three days and two night hotel stay. Uh, donate today at carsforkids.org slash Clavin. That's cars with a K, K-A-R-S, the number four, K-I-D-S dot org slash Clavin. They'll give you the donation experience you deserve. Cars4kids.org slash Clavin. You got to learn how to spell Cars for Kids. So you may not have time to learn how you spell Clavin. So I'll tell you, it's K-L-A-V-A-N. <laughs> you know, you talk about there's no cancel culture. I, I just love this. I, I love this. Like, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It, it really is true. They want to silence you to the point where you can't even say you've been silenced, you know, and, that, and this is it's coming for all of you. It is coming for all of you. It is everyday life now. It is your life in your business. It is your life if you're trying to set up a business. It's your life if you're just a teenage kid who wants to have friends on Facebook and doesn't want to be bullied. That's what it is. It's bullying. These guys talk about, oh, it's so so evil that if you're bullied, if you're transgender, you get bullied. Well, I'm against all bullies. I've been fighting bullies all my life. Like right now, that's what I'm doing. I've been fighting bullies all my life. And it's like, you know, this is bullying. This is bullying. But not only are they going to punch, you know, Raymond Chandler had a great line about the mob. He said they punch you in the face and then they kick you in the stomach for mumbling. You know, they knock out your teeth and then they kick you in the stomach for mumbling. That's Charles Blow. Charles Blow wants to bully you, but he wants to bully you so badly you can't even say that you've been bullied. He wants to bully you to the point where you will say, I'm not being bullied. Just please stop bullying me and I'll say that I'm not being bullied. Lawrence Krauss, a theoretical physicist, wrote a piece I don't know. It was over the weekend, uh, I think, in the Wall Street Journal. He's a theoretical physicist, right? And he says in the 1980s, and, and listen to this. This is important, okay? This is important to talk about the origin of this. He says, I was a young professor of physics in the 1980s, astronomy at Yale. Deconstructionism was in vogue in the English department. We in the science departments would scoff at the lack of objective intellectual standards in the humanities, epitomized by a movement that argued against the existence of objective truth itself. This was deconstruction. Everything was a narrative. Everything could be deconstructed, except, of course, leftism, because leftism was always what was left. So they, they had a movement that was against the existence of objective truth, arguing that all such claims to knowledge were tainted by ideological biases due to race, sex, or economic di dominance. 
It could never happen in the hard sciences, sciences we thought, except perhaps under dictatorships such as the Nazi condemnation of Jewish science or the Stalinist campaign against genetics led by Trofim Lysenko, in which literally thousands of mainstream geneticists were dismissed in the effort to suppress any opposition to the prevailing political view of the state. Now, obviously, what he's about to say is we were wrong. He said, so we thought. Now, this has come to the sciences, and I'll tell you more about that in a second. But first, I just want to pause and point out where this came from. It came from the English department, the place that doesn't matter, the place the conservatives never pay any attention to, the arts, they never pay any attention to it, the culture that we never pay any attention to. That's where this came from, like a cancer. That's where it started. And it's like the conservatives thought, oh, science will be safe. But it's like, you know, all the conservatives will go into the sciences, all the conservatives. You want to meet the conservatives, you go to the engineering schools, you go to the hard sciences. That's where the conservatives are. But it ain't true. Once you let this stuff in, you know, there's this Egyptian journalist. It always kills me when these people come from Muslim countries and come here and talk about uh, patriarchy. Obviously, Alun, Mona Eltaway, her name is. And she's explaining, she wants to explain in simple terms that even you might understand, even someone as foolish and stupid as you might understand what patriarchy is. <laughs> so I just want to play a little bit of this so you understand this is the level of thinking in the humanities in this country, and this is the level of thinking that's coming after the sciences, as I'll tell you after she speaks. People don't see it. It's like asking a fish, what is water? When you ask a fish, what is water? It doesn't know what you're talking about. What, is, what are you talking about? What is water? Because it's, it's the, the very air we breathe is patriarchy. So it's, it's universal. And then depending on where you live, each one of those tentacles of the octopus is that, that oppression that keeps patriarchy alive. So what we have to do in this moment is see that octopus. And I'm sorry, octopus, I know you're a beautiful creature. You're very intelligent, but you're also very devious because you get through cracks. And I want us to start cutting off all of those tentacles in order to, to, to destroy patriarchy. Because when people ask me, what is feminism? Feminism is the destruction of patriarchy. So I'm coming for you, octopus. This loon, this loon is a Yale professor. I mean, she's not, but she could be. This is the level of thought that's happening in the academy now. If you don't believe me, go and read the abstracts in their humanities papers. And the fact that we don't pay attention to it because it seems so silly to us is really, you know, eh, that, that big lump in your neck is silly. I'm not going to go to a doctor about that. It's just a silly look. You know, that's what it's like. This is a cancer. And it's the culture that spreads this stuff because ultimately they come for you. So now in back, going back to this op-ed by Lawrence Krauss, a theoretical physicist. He then tells what's happening in the science. In June, the American Physical Society, which represents 55,000 physicists worldwide, endorsed a strike for black lives to shut down STEM, quote unquote, in academia. It closed its office not to protest police violence or racism, but to, quote, commit to eradicating systemic racism and discrimination, especially in academia and science, stating that physics is not an exception to the suffocating effects of racism in American life. At Michigan State University, one group used the strike to organize and coordinate a protest campaign against the vice president for research, physicist Stephen Hugh, whose crimes included doing research on computational genomics to study how human genetics might be related to cognitive ability, something that to the press 
protesters smacked of eugenics. They don't even want this information out. They don't even want people to study racial differences uh, in genes. They don't. They just don't want it to happen. C- cases says something that goes against their lived experience, right? They want. They want their lived experience to overcome physical reality. At Princeton on July 4th, more than 100 faculty members, including more than 40 in the sciences and engineering, wrote an open letter to the president with proposals to disrupt the institutional hierarchies, perpetuating inequity and harm. You know, this is the thing. (laughs) In other words, facts have to go. Objectivity has to go. And if you don't think this has a real effect on your life, you tell me what you know about the Chinese flu, because I read everything. I look at everything so I can bring you information. I don't even know what's going on with the Chinese flu. I talked to my daughter yesterday. She's not a political person. She just wants to keep her family safe. She doesn't know. She doesn't know what to be afraid of. She doesn't know what to worry about. How could anybody know? How could anybody know when everything is like, oh, well, you know, (laughs) Bill de Blasio said, I'm going to ban major gatherings like church services but not Black Lives Matter protests. Well, you know, that's so important. That is so important. Praying to God, not important. Black Lives Matter protests, important. That's the way they're thinking. I mean, they're living living in a non-objective world. Listen, I'm a big proponent of the inner life. I'm a big proponent of how people feel and how they experience life. That's what life is all about. But it has to be in keeping with the outside world. Your feelings have to be in keeping with the outside world. If you're walking around thinking, you know, that a black helicopter is following you down the street, you're just a paranoid schizophrenic. have to be, your inner emotions have to be a co-creation with reality, not in their, you know, what's his name? Andrew Cuomo, the popular governor of of New York. He said this, let's see what he, he goes after Trump. Here's his comment about Donald Trump on the uh, flu. Someone is clearly lying to the American people and people are dying because of it. Trump's COVID scandal makes what Nixon did at Watergate look innocent. Nobody died in the Watergate scandal. Thousands of people are going to die in this COVID scandal. And that is all the difference in the world. That's amazing. It's amazing. This is the guy who whose policies, his specific policies wiped out something like 6,000 older people because he put people who were suffering from Chinese flu into the nursing homes, into the old people's homes, and it wiped them out, hasn't apologized for it, hasn't said he regretted it. He ended the policy eventually after he'd killed that many people. And now they're saying, oh, wow, isn't the the death rate is down? Yeah, because all the old people are dead. Most of the people in the country have died from this, have died in on Cuomo's watch in Cuomo City, and yet people just love him because he keeps lying to him, and we're living in a non objective world. We're living in a world where not only do facts not matter, but if you state the facts, your career is over. That means you have got to step up and stand for the truth. All right, let us talk about, you know, some of you probably want a Helix sleep mattress because you want to sleep. <laughs> you weaklings. I, who never sleep, just like my Helix sleep mattress because I like to be comfortable while I'm lying awake thinking, what? why can't I go to sleep? But Helix Sleep has a quiz that you take. It takes just two minutes to complete, and it matches your body type and sleep preference to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, hot sleeper, you like a plush or firm bed with Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising. You get the bed you want. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin, take the two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life 
or in my case, the best lying awake experience of my life. I took the quiz. I was matched to the Helix Midnight Lux. The Midnight Lux is a medium firm designed for side sleepers or in my case, side liars because I'm just lying there right now. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Get up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. And you can lie awake like me all night thinking, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A. <laughs> there are no easy Clavin. I just said that. I just said it already, but I just make it look this easy. Go get Ben's book. Don't just sit around doing nothing. Ben Shapiro has a new book called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, which is prophetic at this point. The book goes on sale Tuesday, July 21st at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Ben will be doing a virtual live signing event on the day of release. With your purchase of a signed copy, you can write in a question which may be read and answered as he signs your book live on the air. You can pre-order your signed copy and write in your question at dailywire.com slash Ben. How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps details how this alternate world view of the left has gained so much cultural ground so quickly. That's dailywire.com slash Ben to order your signed copy and join Ben's live signing on Tuesday, July 21st. And while you're at it, go on and subscribe. Get a reader's pass. If you don't want to get the all access pass because you're just too damn cheap, get the reader's pass. It's only three bucks a month, only 99 cents for the first month. You get the mobile app ad-free articles and access to exclusive editorials like one by Ben Anti-Racism Crusade seeks to eradicate everything we share. Go on and subscribe so you can be on the mailbag. Tomorrow, we've got Senator Ted Cruz coming right up. Senator Cruz, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on. Senator, I just, just I should say that uh, uh, Ted Cruz is obviously the U.S. Senator for the state of Texas and three of the smartest people in Congress. Uh, he is host of Verdict, available anywhere you get podcasts. Not so smart to be with Michael Knowles all the time, but you seem to have survived <laughs> the, the experience. Senator, it's great to see you. I thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you know, I have to tell you, I have to bring this to you as uh, probably the smartest person in Congress and a person whose politics aligns almost perfectly with mine. There's an old joke about the Republicans that if the Democrats proposed destroying America in 60 days, Republicans would negotiate for 90 days and, and call it a victory. Right now, we see these this Maoist cultural revolution yeah. being waged by groups misnomered Black Lives Matter and uh, anti-fascism. And the Republicans seem to be kind of compromising, saying, well, maybe we should take down some statues. Maybe we should reform the police instead of and it, it just comes across as weak. Have Republicans lost the nerve to fight this battle? Well, listen, there's no doubt that we need leaders to stand up and defend our nation and, 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 and ex defend our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, defend our history. And 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 I don't think being fair addressing it, that, that, that it is compromising to say we need to do better when it comes to moving towards justice. Our, our whole history of our nation has been a journey to greater justice. So, so you look at something like, like police reform. What, what happened to George Floyd was horrific. It was wrong. It was a violation of civil liberties. Those officers committed criminal offenses. They're rightly being prosecuted. Saying that is not giving in to the left. That, that's defending the rule of law, defending the rights of Americans. Now, what's happened, though, it is in response to that, a lot of people understandably engaged in peaceful protest, which is a, a right protected in the First Amendment. But very quickly, those protests got got subverted, got taken over by violent anarchists, by, by Marxists 
who engaged in acts of violence, who engaged in physical assaults, who firebombed police cars, who burned small businesses, who looted small businesses, who murdered uh, police officers, and, and, and who are assaulting the very foundations of our nation. And, and, and it is distressing how few leaders are stepping up and, and defending and explaining those principles. As you know, that's the, the reason I launched the, the podcast with, with, with Michael Knowles, the Verdict podcast, because we get into those issues and, and, and try to really explain what they mean and what's going on. I mean, when you talk about uh, the reforming the police, uh, of course, you know, you're right. Uh, obviously, horrible things sometimes happen and bad policing is really bad because the police have so much power. I'm always in favor of reforming the police. It just seems to me that when the left seizes the narrative because yep. they own so much of the communications territory, uh, that we don't get to say, well, you know, the reason a lot of these things happen in black neighborhoods is because black neighborhoods are rife with crime. Now, I'm willing to talk about all the causes for that. I mean, I think there are a million causes for that. But the cop is just there to prevent the crime. He's just there to protect people. And it does seem like police, they're, they're literally talking about defunding the police in the neighborhoods where the police protect more lives than anybody else. Uh, doesn't it seem like th th there's some weakness in, in grabbing the narrative by the GOP? Oh, look, there always is. Uh, Republicans are terrible at engaging in the narrative. Uh, but but th th that doesn't mean, so let's take, for example, Black Lives Matter. You and I have both seen the polling that shows 60, 70% of Americans agree with the proposition Black Lives Matter. I'm amazed it's that, not 100%. Black Lives Matter is a truism. <laughs> Absolutely, Black Lives Matter intensely because every human life is created by God and, 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 and it needs to be valued preciously. Black Lives Matter, Brown Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, if we had purple and green lives, they would matter too, like, 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 like that. But, but there is a difference between that phrase and the organization that, 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 that is entitled Black Lives Matter, that, that is governed by, that is run by dedicated, committed, trained Marxists that are seeking the overthrow of society explicitly. You can go to their website and see what they seek. Then they seek abolishing the police. And you want to talk about the narrative. All right, fine. Abolishing the police is a profoundly racist idea. Abolishing the police is a profoundly stupid idea. And the consequence of abolishing the police would be that, that, that in high crime areas, crime would go up. Unfortunately, and many high crime areas are low income areas and, and, and there's very significant African-American Hispanic populations. If, if the far left succeeds in abolishing the police, more black lives will be lost, more African-Americans will be murdered. And, and, and at the end of the day, it's a political Marxist movement, so they don't really care about that consequence. You know, there's something called the Ferguson effect, which is when we've seen yeah. leftists attacking, demonizing, vilifying police officers. Police officers are human beings. They naturally pull back, and what ends up happening is murder rates spike and skyrocket, and, and a great many victims of crime are African-American, are Hispanic, are low-income. If we care about those lives, the innocent, th th then we ought to be standing with and supporting the police, not demonizing, tearing them down, and, and that's where the far left is. You know, uh, 
I've been watching, you know, I was talking to Henry Olson, a poll watcher. One of the things I really admired about you, Senator Cruz, truly, is any objective person would say that you you had no reason to love uh, Donald Trump after the primaries and the things he said. Uh, but in, but instead of holding any kind of personal grudge, you actually worked for the betterment of the country, getting what you could get in the situation that was on hand, that was at hand. That was an amazing act, of, I think, of personal sacrifice and courage. I really admired it. At the same time, right now, it looks like Donald Trump is in trouble. The polls show him to be in trouble. Uh, I was talking to Henry Olson last week. He was very, he was funereal, I think would be a fair way to put it. Uh, and it seems like a lot of Republicans are saying, well, we're not going to go to the convention. Uh, you know, they're sort of rats abandoning the, the ship. How bad do you think it is right now? Do you think that the Senate majority is under threat? Do you think uh, that Trump is under threat? And do you think it can be turned around? So... Yes, yes, and yes. Senate majority is <laughs> absolutely under a threat. Trump is absolutely under threat. And yes, it can be turned around. Um, okay. As I look at November, I, I think it's incredibly volatile. Um, I, I think it depends on what plays out the next several months between now and Election Day. Um, if things get better, if, if we see the COVID numbers go down, if we see people going back to work, if we see a sense of optimism, if people have hope the economy can come back, I think we could see a phenomenal election. I think the president could be reelected with a significant margin. I think we could grow our majority in the Senate. I think we could retake the House of Representatives. So that's one outcome that I think is entirely possible and in play. But a second outcome, if, if, if things go badly, if the COVID numbers continue to spike, if we see the hospitalization and death, death rates spike as well, if we see more shutdowns, if more people lose their jobs, and, and, and if people feel hopeless, if, if they feel depressed, I think we could see a devastating election. I think the president could lose. I think we'd lose the Senate. We could lose the House. And, 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 and I think it could be a bloodbath. And, and I don't recall an election with this kind of massive volatility. Now, the press and the Democrats, they are all in. Their, their, their number one objective is defeat Donald Trump. So they want everyone to give up hope. They want Republicans. Uh, they are the gates of hell. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. That, that is their message. Um, no, we shouldn't abandon hope. But yes, we should be concerned and, and, and we should be engaged in the fight. And, and, and that's what I'm trying to do. You know, when you talk about the COVID numbers, I, I was talking to my, my daughter yesterday, who's not a political person. She's just a mom. She just wants to protect her family. She said to me, I can't get the facts. The yep. facts are so yep. smothered in politics. What is your take on what's happening in Texas? Did Texas reopen too quickly? Uh, did they, were they un, not careful enough? Or is that just the news media basically trying to blame a red state? So your, your, your daughter's question is exactly right. What's bizarre, we're in the middle of a global health crisis and it's completely, I, I think the word she used was smothered. That, that, that's exactly right. It's smothered in politics. And, and I think that's weird. Like, like who, when you go to your doctor, it's not a political conversation usually. I mean, you, you're like interested. I'd like to be healthy. I'd like my family to be healthy. So, so as I look at this disease, this virus is serious. We've had over a half million people die worldwide. It's serious. It needs to be treated seriously. There are some populations, particularly the most vulnerable people who are are very elderly, people who have significant uh, health ailments who've proven to be quite vulnerable to it. And, and so 
I think we ought to exercise common sense. I think that means we should use social distancing where appropriate. We should wear masks uh, where appropriate. We, we should engage in testing. We should, and, and I've introduced a whole series of legislation to accelerate the regular, to, to reduce the regulatory barriers, to accelerate the development of treatments, the development of a vaccine. This is a serious health issue, but at the same time, we need to value the 44 million jobs that have been lost, that the answer isn't just to destroy small businesses and people's life savings and their hope. And, and when you do that, when you create that poverty, you have a very real public health consequence as well. There, there, there's more mental illness, there's more depression, there's more suicide, there's more substance abuse, there's more alcohol abuse. All of those are the prices of destroying pe people's economic future. Yeah. And so we got to balance both and, and, and it's hard to get the facts. What, what I, to be honest, there's not one source that, that, that I go to to get the facts. Everyone is politicized. So let's take masks. Um, masks, there are some people uh, on the right who, who view masks as a ridiculous. If you wear a mask, you're giving in to totalitarianism. Like, I think that's kind of nutty. If I go to the grocery store, I put on a mask because I'd like to not get sick and not get my family sick. Um, but at the same time, you see people on the left who wear this mask as a virtue signal. I am a noble resistance fighter against Donald Trump. That's nutty too. Um, so what I'm trying to do in the Verdict podcast is, is actually discuss substance and issues rather than everything going through a political lens of, of, of nonstop partisan warfare. Well, I know you've got to go, Senator, so I will let you go. I wish I could talk to you more. I'd like to hear more about the, the, the next term coming up. But I hope people will listen to the verdict uh, with Ted Cruz. Knowles is hosting it, but that's no reason to turn away because uh, <laughs> the Senator Cruz will be there. Thanks so much, Senator. I appreciate Thank you coming on. All right. I'm going to end the show there. But like I said, tomorrow I'm going to answer the uh, letters uh, that I got from people about the comment I made in reference to uh, Don Lemon uh, and his comments about Jesus. I know I got a lot of a lot of letters about this, really did. And I did understand that I didn't I wasn't clear about what I was saying. And you'll still disagree with me when I'm finished, but at least you will know and understand what I actually meant. So we'll talk about that tomorrow on the mailbag. Get your letters in. And if you want to send a video, please keep it under a minute, but send a video and we love to see them. We love to see you as you're talking. I will answer your questions. All your problems will be solved, which is a great deal. Uh, it's just for the price of a subscription. Who else offers that deal? I do. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director is Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020.